Welcome to the Valleybrook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. The Book of Psalms is a book of poetry, prayers, and songs that people wrote to God, prayed to God, and even used to lead others in the worship of God. The Psalms give us insight into what a relationship with God looks like and examples of how we can pour out our joys, fears, and our heart's desires to God. Join us weekly as we spend the summer in Psalms. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Well, again, welcome to Valleybrook. We're glad you're here. We're in the middle of this series called Summer in the Psalms, and we're working our way through some select psalms from that book. So let me start with today's message. You know, I was so naive Before Cynthia and I moved to Connecticut, I pastored a church near the Twin Cities in Minnesota, and it was a congregation that had a mix of people who were spiritually mature and some who were younger and more undeveloped in their faith, some who were, and some who were somewhere in between. It was a congregation where some people were there every time the doors opened, and some people were only there on the big days like Easter and Christmas, and and some uh, in between that. It was a congregation where people served a lot and where some people just attended on Sunday and where some people were somewhere in the middle. It was also a congregation that was made up of people who held a wide variety of political and social views. And it was while serving this church that that God gave me the calling to plant this church called Valleybrook. Now, long before we moved here and planted Valleybrook, I can remember daydreaming about the church that we would plant. And as I would daydream, I would think about a place where everybody was unified and committed in all of their views on issues and positions and politics and beliefs about God. And basically, we're all on the same page about everything. I couldn't wait till that day. And then we started Valleybrook. And I woke up from that daydream and I realized how naive I had been because none of us are on the same page all the time. We have different tastes. We have different passions. We have different views on a whole slew of things. And it was naive of me to think that gathering a group of people who believe in Jesus wouldn't also bring in those different tastes and different passions and different views on everything. The reality was my thinking was a little off, but God used that to remind me that while we are all different, there is one non-negotiable for everyone who believes in the saving power of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And that is this, that we are all members of the body of Christ called the church. Eugene Peterson writes this. He says, whether we like it or not, the moment we confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that is, from the time we become a Christian, we are at the same time, we are at the same time a member of the Christian church, even if we do not permit our name to be placed on a church roll, even if we refuse to identify ourselves with a particular congregation and share responsibilities with them. Even if we absent ourselves from the worship of the congregation, our membership in the church is a corollary of our faith in Christ, he writes. Membership in the church is a basic spiritual fact for those who confess 
Christ as Lord. There are Christians, of course, who never put their names down on a membership list. There are Christians who refuse to respond to the call to corporate worship each Sunday. And there are Christians who say, I love God, but I hate the church. But they are all members all the same. Whether they like it or not, whether they acknowledge it or not, we are a family in Christ. When we become Christians, we are among brothers and sisters in faith. No Christian is an only child. But of course, the fact that we are a family of faith does not mean that we are always one big happy family. People we encounter as brothers and sisters in faith are nice sometimes, but they're not always nice. They don't stop being sinners the moment they believe in Jesus. They don't suddenly metamorphose into brilliant conversationalists, exciting companions, and glowing inspirations. Some of them are cranky. Some of them are dull, and others, if truth be spoken, are a drag. But at the same time, our Lord tells us that they are brothers and sisters to us in the faith. If God is my father, then this is my family. So the question is not, am I going to be a part of the community of faith? But how am I going to live in this community of faith? Now hang on to that last question, because we're going to come back to it. Now, this is a great lead in to Psalm 133. Psalm 133 is one of 15 psalms called Psalms of Ascent. Now you need to understand that the city of Jerusalem was situated on a high hill. Jews traveling to Jerusalem for one of the three main annual Jewish festivals, they were going on their pilgrimages when they did this, they would traditionally sing these songs of ascent or as they followed the uphill road into the city. According to some traditions, the Jewish priest also sang some of these songs of ascent as they walked up the steps to the temple in Jerusalem. The theme of each song of ascent in the book of Psalms then really is to encourage those who are seeking to worship God. So let's read Psalm 133. David writes this song of ascent and it says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live in, together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. So let's imagine for a moment what David was thinking when he was inspired to write this psalm. While we don't know when in his lifetime David wrote it, we do know from Scripture that David saw a lot in his life. He had been a shepherd. He had helped the king of Israel defeat the, the Philistine army. David had been anointed king before King Saul was out. And so he spent those years knowing that he was supposed to be king, but honoring the current king. And unfortunately, King Saul did not unite with David in that honor, but instead felt threatened by David, and he often tried to kill him. David married the king's daughter. And Scripture shows us at least one instance of their rocky marriage when they weren't united. David also led a group of men. And those men, called the mighty men, 
seem to be in unity in following David, the leader that they admired. And David was also united in his deep and abiding friendship with Jonathan. Later in life, though, David experienced great pain and great hurt when his own family members were not united with him. In fact, several of them turned against them. Now, all of this is to say that David knew how good unity could be and how bad disunity could be. And so he understood the blessing of when brothers and sisters live together in unity. So let's start with that. Unity is a blessing. Let's go back to verse 1. David writes, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. General Colin Powell wrote in his autobiography, My American Journey, on the eve of the battle in Desert Storm, a news correspondent was interviewing a young African-American soldier in a tank platoon. The correspondent asked, how do you think the battle will go? Are you afraid? We'll do okay. We're well trained and, and I'm not afraid, the soldier answered gesturing to his buddies all around him. I'm not afraid because I'm with my family. The other soldiers shouted, tell him again, he didn't hear you. So the soldier repeated, this is my family and we'll take care of each other. Then General Powell goes on to write, that story is a metaphor for what we have to do as a nation. We have to start thinking of our nation as a family. We have to stop screeching at each other, stop hurting each other, and instead start caring for, sacrificing for, and sharing with each other. We have to stop constantly criticizing, which is the way of the malcontent, and instead get back to the can-do attitude that has made this country. We have to keep trying and risk failing in order to solve this country's problems. We cannot move forward if cynics and critics swoop down and pick apart anything that goes wrong to a point where we lose sight of what is right, decent, and uniquely good. General Powell was talking about being united. Jesus also talked about being united. He said this, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Look, as we know, our society is fractured and it's experiencing disunity over many things like vaccines, wearing masks, the response to issues on race, the election and politics on this issue or that issue. As followers of Jesus, we're supposed to follow him above everything else. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. Unfortunately, I think in many respects, followers of Jesus, though, are divided over what they believe Jesus would do and thus what we should do. So remember his words, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. You see, maybe we've forgotten which kingdom is most important for followers of Jesus. Maybe we've confused what it means to be a part of the kingdom of this world and what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. Citizenship in the kingdom of this world and specifically in the kingdom of this nation 
comes with rights. In fact, a bill of rights that we like to tote out all the time to demonstrate that we have these rights to justify our positions. But over and over again, Jesus calls his followers to not be a part of the kingdom of this world, but to be a part of the kingdom of God. And to be a part of the kingdom of God, Jesus said this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. We're not supposed to claim our rights. We're supposed to deny our rights and ourselves. We're supposed to take up our cross, which, by the way, our cross isn't our particular passion or political position. Our cross is the obedience of following Jesus. It's the way of Jesus. And what is the way of Jesus? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us. He writes, think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. Now, is that hard? Yes, that is hard. But for followers of Jesus, we are called to be united in following him by denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following him. And when we do, we will see the blessing of that unity that we have with other followers of Jesus as we fall in step behind our Lord and Savior. As Psalm 133 continues, we see that unity is like being anointed. So continuing to talk about unity, David writes these words. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. Now, let me explain that word picture that David has created. He's recalling what we would read in chapter 29 of the book of Exodus, where Aaron, dressed in a tunic and the, the ephod of the priesthood, is anointed with oil to be ordained a priest. Now, in Scripture, Oil is always a symbol of God's Spirit. And those who needed the help of God's Spirit were anointed with oil for a tangible reminder that they needed the help of the Holy Spirit to do whatever it was that God was calling them to be, whether it be a priest or a king or a queen or some other type of role. You know, today sometimes we use oil to anoint people to pray for blessings on them or to pray for healing for them. And it's a tangible reminder that as we pray for that person, we know that they need God's touch of healing or God's touch of strengthening in their lives at that moment. We also need to remember this because remember, oil is a symbol for the Holy Spirit. And when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, God anointed us 
with his spirit. In 2 Corinthians, we read this. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So if oil is a symbol of God's spirit, and the anointing of the priest was to remind them that they're united with the spirit of God to do their ministry, the implication is that all of us can be united with God's spirit and one another to do whatever it is that God has called us to do. And we know that 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 was fulfilled when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church, which we read about in the book of Acts. And this verse testifies to the fact that for every believer, we've been anointed with God's Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's seal of ownership on each believer. The Spirit is a deposit in our hearts that guarantees the promise of eternal life for all who believe. God has done what he needs to do so that we can live in unity. He has blessed us and anointed us with his spirit who will help us live in the unity of the kingdom of God instead of living in the crazy disunity of the kingdom of this world. We, Christ followers, have the spirit. But we have to choose to live by the Spirit instead of living by our own personal agendas and wills. When we do that, we will see the power of being united in the Spirit with God and with one another. Next, Psalm 133 tells us that unity is like being refreshed. David writes in the first part of verse 3 these words. It is as if the dew of Hermon was falling on Mount Zion. Now, what in the world is he talking about? Well, there is a huge mountain in Israel. It's called Mount Hermon. It is more than 200 miles by car north of Jerusalem, and it rises over 9,200 feet above sea level. And it's known for precipitation in the form of rain and snow and dew. In fact, it gets enough snow that there's a ski resort on the southern slopes. That's right, right in the middle of the Middle East. And because of this moisture, Mount Hermon is known for its lush greenery, even in those dry Middle Eastern months. So the word picture of the dew of Hermon is seen as a refreshing blessing. Now, just a reminder The city of Jerusalem is oftentimes called Zion or Mount Zion. And so David is saying that unity amongst the people of God is like having the dew of Hermon bless the city of Jerusalem. In other words, as he looked out at Jerusalem, he saw the brothers and sisters, the followers of God. And when they were unified, it was refreshing, like having the dew that would fall on Mount Hermon fall all in Jerusalem. The dew of heaven, we could call it, is the blessing of unity among believers. Scholar Warren Wearsby writes this, when things are dry, they begin to wither and fall apart. But when the dew comes, it brings new life and things hold together. Life means unity. Death means decay. And the difference is that dew from heaven that brings refreshment. Now, it's interesting to note this. 
During the summer months in Jerusalem, and that would be from May to October, there was virtually no precipitation in Jerusalem, even due for that matter. And two of the three main Jewish festivals, when people would make their pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate and worship together, would be during those hot, harsh summer months. And this psalm that they would sing, they would sing to encourage one another as pilgrims. So regardless of how harsh the conditions of the pilgrimage, or in this case, of our lives, or whatever we're going through, the fellowship of the unity of God's people is always refreshing to us. So in scripture, the dew that falls to earth was always a symbol of God's blessing to his people because it refreshes the earth, it refreshes people. When there is unity among the people of God, that is a refreshing blessing to us. Now let's look at the last sentence in Psalm 133. It's in the the second half of verse 3. And we're going to talk about unity that leads to the blessed life. David writes, For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. It is unity that followers of Jesus find that brings blessing. In that unity, they are blessed. The unity that we can experience among fellow believers is a taste of what we will ultimately experience in heaven, or as David says here, in the life forevermore. So unity in Christ in this life and in the life to come brings a blessing. It's the blessed life. Psalm 133 is a psalm about unity. Unity that followers of Jesus are supposed to live in with one another. So let me return to that question that I asked earlier. How are you going to live together in the community of faith? How are you going to live together in the community of faith? In other words, how are you going to live in unity in the body of Christ? You know, this psalm and countless other scriptures point something out that we all need to embrace. In the body of Christ, community, and therefore unity, is essential. It's not optional. We need to be united around our common faith in Jesus Christ. Pastor Eugene Peterson writes this. The church was founded when people were all together in one place, and When some early Christians were dropping out of that community and pursuing private interest, a pastor wrote to them urging them to nurture their precious gift of community, not avoiding worshiping together as some do. The Bible knows nothing of a religion defined by what a person does inwardly in the privacy of thought or feeling or apart from others on a lonely retreat. When Jesus was asked what the great commandment was, he said, love the Lord your God with all of your passion. And then immediately, before anyone could go off and make a private religion out of it, he riveted to it another. This is what he said. There's a second to set alongside it. Love others as well as you love yourself. Jesus calls us to the life of being united with others in the community 
of the body of Christ. In the 1960s, a Catholic priest named Peter Schultz wanted to find a song for a service that he was preparing that focused on unity in the body of Christ, but he couldn't find one. But he was captivated by a scripture, a scripture where Jesus said these words. He said, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so as he began to think and pray and meditate on that, and, and as he grieved the fact that he couldn't find a song that really fit the moment, God inspired him to pin these lyrics. And the lyrics were to a song Many of you will know it as soon as I tell you the name of it. The name of the song is, They'll Know We Are Christians by Our Love. Interestingly, that song grew in such popularity in the 1960s and 1970s that it became the anthem for the evangelical Christian movement called the Jesus Movement. Now that song emphasizes Christian unity in the spirit and in the common faith in the Lord. And it states that when we're united to one another, that we will demonstrate that unity by walking hand in hand in community versus fighting against one another. It says we will demonstrate that unity by working side by side rather than working against one another. And it demonstrates that unity by saying that we will work together to spread the good news of God and that we will protect one another in unity and then it concludes with us all worshiping the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together. That song answers the question, how are we going to live together in this community of faith? We live together in community by following Jesus in the work of the kingdom of God, walking hand in hand with one another, working side by side with one another, spreading the good news of Jesus with one another, protecting one another, and worshiping with one another. Now, we're all aware that this has been a hard season to be in community, whether it's because of the shutdowns of everything as we know it, or social distancing, everything associated with the pandemic, or the ugly divisions of the issues of the day. But as Christ followers, we're supposed to rise above pandemics, yes, to rise above the divisions of the day. We're supposed to put God first, and we're supposed to put others ahead of ourselves. So I'm going to challenge you today. Pursue unity in Christ and the kingdom of God and stop pursuing the things that divide the body of Christ. I'm not saying you can't have your passions and, and your positions, but your belief in Jesus Christ needs to be so far above all of those things. Secondly, do whatever it takes to pursue community with other followers of Jesus Christ. This is what I would suggest. If you're part of Valleybrook, meet with one another, even if it has to be social distancing. Join a life group, whether it's virtual or in person. Join one of our serving teams. You know, there's nothing more that builds community sometimes than, than working side by side. We have plenty of opportunities for you to do that, whether it's doing some sweaty manual labor or helping children and students grow in their faith. 
Let us know because we would love to put you in a place where you can serve and fulfill the gifting and calling that God has put on your life. Here's the deal. We're called to be part of the community of Christ. We're called to be united in our one common faith in Jesus and that supersedes everything in our lives. Unity will take work. But remember, you've been anointed by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit can help you do whatever it takes. He can strengthen you. And you have been refreshed by seeing what unity is like. So I want to pray for us that we would live in unity with one another and with fellow Christians wherever we find them. That we would do whatever it takes to maintain unity and that we would build unity because that's building the kingdom of God. Now, I would say to some of you, if if you're not a follower of Jesus, then you need to start there. You need to tell Jesus you believe in him and, and and that you're gonna follow him. So I'm gonna start off this prayer time with an opportunity for anybody who's never professed their faith in Jesus to do so, and then I'm gonna pray for all of us to live and work for unity in the body of Christ. So if you would, bow your heads, let's pray. God, as we gather here today, I recognize that there may be one person, one man, one woman, one boy, one girl who has decided that they want to profess their faith in Jesus Christ. So if this is you, I'm going to invite you to repeat these words that I'm going to give to you. And you can put them in your own words if you want to, but repeat them as a prayer to God. Dear God, I believe in Jesus. Go ahead and pray that. I believe that Jesus died to pay for my sins and that he rose from the dead. And today I commit to following him to strengthen me in your name. And we'll say amen to that part of the prayer. And now I want to pray for our unity. God, you have called us to you. You have called us to love you with all that we are. So that is far above any position, any, posa- any passion, anything that is of this world. So Lord, we confess that we have not always put you first. We confess that we have not always worked for unity. Sometimes we have been doing the opposite. And I pray, Lord, that as you have anointed us with your spirit, that you would empower us to do whatever it takes to build unity in the body of Christ, to help grow the kingdom of God, to walk hand in hand with one another, to work side by side, to protect one another and worship together the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.